Well, it's good to be with you uh, this morning to bring you greetings from Redeemer Church in Graham. Um, I was uh, expecting several things when I came uh, this morning to uh, the Fields Church in Arlington. Um, I wasn't expecting the Wakanda reference. Um, that was really special. <laughs> it did have me thinking, I wonder what the cuisine would be like in Wakanda. Um, I'm sure it's wonderful. Um, uh, but one thing that is not a surprise is just how gracious your church is. Um, uh, it was a gracious introduction. Daniel, goodness, you listed just about everything um, <laughs> that you could say about me. One thing you did miss, though, was uh, when I first got to Graham, I was pastor of Kelly Aurelio just for a little bit before she moved up to Washington, uh, D.C. But it, it, there are so many connections here at the Fields Church. I'm so grateful for this congregation. We genuinely pray for your church regularly at uh, Redeemer Church in Graham. Um, Brian is a good friend. Uh, we met several years ago, and I have benefited from his encouragement and his faithfulness uh, for a, a long time. So I'm so encouraged that you guys have loved him with a sabbatical. Graham has also been a dear friend for years now. I trust you know just how blessed you are as a congregation to have these men and others um, leading you in the word and leading you in the truth. I look up to these brothers um, sincerely. Um, it was about eight years ago that I received a text message on a Sunday morning uh, from Brian uh, when he said, be encouraged, your mom just walked through our front doors. Uh, the first time that she came to visit this church, and it was really encouraging to me. I was so glad that she landed here, having grown up in Arlington, um, grown up in the Metroplex. I'm aware that finding a faithful church is not as easy as it maybe should be, um, and I'm so thankful that my mom has found this church, and um, so encouraged by the ways that you're caring so well for her, not only spiritually, but physically. Um, so thank you. It is a privilege to be here. Um, up. Sorry, guys. This is it? Oh, man. Do you want me to do it again? No. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it is normal at my church, uh, what is, I'm sure, normal at this church, which is to open a text of scripture and exposit it or expose all that is um, in there for you. Uh, I'm going to preach a different kind of sermon uh, today. It's going to feel more topical. I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. Um, but I want to take an idea from Isaiah 61 about the gospel, and that's what I want to preach to you. But I'm going to be kind of um, going from Isaiah to the beginning of the Bible, and then to the middle, and then to the end. Um, so it will feel a bit different, but I am eager to preach the good news of Christ to you. Um, we'll read that text in a moment, but first, I do want to pray again. I know we've prayed a lot, but I want to pray again. So let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for gathering us here this morning to worship you. Lord, 
I love this congregation, though I don't know each of these or uh, worship here regularly. I know of your work here, and I'm thankful. And Lord, these people need to hear from you. They don't need to hear from me. And so we're asking you, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us from your word, and you would reveal yourself to us and build us up in the faith. Uh, we desperately need you to hear and answer, and we pray that you would. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 61, I'll read verse 10 in a second. You, you may have um, be familiar with the idea that Isaiah, in, in the uh, minds of some people, is like a fifth gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is, is kind of predicted here in the book of Isaiah. Um, in, in promising this king that would come and lay down his life for our salvation. As we read Isaiah 61, verse 10, I want you to th think about this question. Why, whenever God is promising that he would save his people, why would he describe salvation in the kind of language and imagery that we see in Isaiah 61, verse 10? Here it is. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The title of this sermon is All Dressed Up. All Dressed Up. I want to talk with you for a few moments about this idea that when God promises that He's going to save His people, He speaks about it in the terms of being all dressed up. Uh, one thing you may or may not know about uh, my mother, Barbara, is um, she really loved to get her boys all dressed up. Um, I, I can remember whether it was Christmas or Easter or the first day of school, it was a, it was a big deal. And one of the things that she loved doing was was dressing us up in matching clothes, and um, I can remember me and my brother being dressed up in matching clothes even later in life than other um, brothers are dressed up in the same kinds of clothes. Uh, getting all dressed up, uh, you probably understand it can, it can help you maybe feel confident about what you're facing, uh, that day, it, it um, also obviously makes for good family photos. But getting all dressed up, at least according to Isaiah 61, can help you understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is about. 
There is something about the good news of our Savior that is explained if you understand what it means to be all dressed up. Now, you may not see yourself as a fashion guy or a fashion girl, but God in Scripture uses clothes as a metaphor for something that actually should matter to each one of us this morning. I want to summarize this sermon in a sentence. This is my point. Christ wore our shame to dress us in His righteousness. Christ wore our shame in order to dress us up in His righteousness. And God wants us thinking in those kinds of terms when we think, what is it that Jesus has done for us? I want to try to help you understand what getting all dressed up has to do with the good news. And to do that, I want to introduce you to two men. Two men. The first man is the man who needed to dress up. The man who needed to dress up. That's point number one. Really, I want to introduce you to the very first man, Adam. If you can recall from Vacation Bible School, Adam wasn't dressed at all. Adam and his wife, we're told, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, were naked and not ashamed. I don't know what kind of nightmares you have at night. Um, but I can, I mean, this sounds like a nightmare uh, to me. I, I sometimes have nightmares about leaving the house without being dressed. Adam was naked and he had nothing to be ashamed of. This is the way the, the story of the world begins. That Adam enjoyed this openness with God and an access to God that you and I really even just struggle to imagine, but it was true. Adam and God were friends. Adam only knew the smile of God. I wonder if you can imagine being totally seen, being naked before God and having nothing to be ashamed of. That was Adam's experience and then everything changed. Because Genesis 3 goes on to tell us about a serpent. And this serpent comes 
and tempts Adam and Eve to, to no longer trust God. He's the prince of the disobedient that we read about. How is it that that song we sang in Ephesians chapter 2 came to be true in the first place? Satan came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to stop trusting God and laid out this promise that if they would only disobey God that basically they could become God. And Adam and Eve bought it. And when Eve reached out to take the fruit and then passed it on to her husband who was with her and he ate, Genesis 3 says this. This is really revealing about what happened the moment that sin came in. Listen, then the eyes of both were open and they knew they were naked. And what did they do when they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. What I'm trying to tell you, beloved, is that Adam became a man who needed to dress up. That clothes, these things that are just so common in this world and in our day-to-day -day experience. There was a time when they did not exist. But clothes were created in the first place for the purpose of covering the shame of our sin. Which originally was defined by uh, the sin of wanting to live without God. Uh, uh, the sin of living like we are God. This is profoundly important for us to understand. These things we always put on every single day were created for the purpose of covering the shame of our sin. Clothes are... More than a metaphor, though, that ironically clothes uncover this, this deep truth. I mean, you know instinctively that, that you should not be seen naked by the wrong people. You know that instinctively. No one has to tell us that. We all, whenever someone sees us who shouldn't see us, or when we see someone we should not see, there is a panic that is natural and good and right. And, and we, what we do is we reach for something, don't we? We reach for something to cover us. Or if we're seeing someone we shouldn't see, there's something good inside us that tells us to avert our eyes. And I want to encourage you this morning that whenever you feel that, something very profound is being preached to you. And I want to encourage you to pause and listen. The reason we feel shame when too much of us is seen is because deep down we don't want anyone to know the real us. We don't want anyone to really look in and see our desires and how 
disgusting they can be. We don't want anyone to look in and really see our hopes and how hateful they can be. We don't want anyone knowing just how guilty we really are. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They immediately realized, I was wrong. Basically, for dressing myself up to be God. Trying to replace so good a God. Let me reach for something and create this thing called clothes. Adam was a man who needed to dress up, and so he made clothes for himself. But if you're familiar with the story, you'll, you'll know that those clothes that Adam made covered too little. Genesis 3, verse 10, God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam says, I heard that you were coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I had clothed myself, and then I hid myself further. I realized the clothes that I made weren't enough to cover my guilt. Adam hid himself by dressing himself. But God saw that Adam needed to be dressed up even more than he already was. See, clothes may hide the things that, that we don't want other people to see. But no amount of clothes can hide us from God and from Him seeing who we really are as the Bible describes us as sinful and guilty before Him. Friends, we, we've come a long way since this passage. You may not be trying to find figs you know, to, to clothe yourself or cover yourself. I don't even know where I'd find them except for Kroger or whatever. Um, but we've also, we've also not changed at all. Because we are just like Adam and Eve, trying to hide our sin and our shame. I wonder if you've recognized this temptation to hide whenever you're wrong. We dress ourselves in charity, you know, to hide the things that we don't want other people to know. We, we, we reach for charity in order to to give people what they need in, in hopes of making up for the things that we have failed to do. Maybe we're trying to make up for neglecting our kids and so we reach for charity and gifts that we can shower them with or, or, or we, we know we've messed up and so the husband goes out and gets flowers for his wife. 
We're just trying to find some way that we can make ourselves feel less bad. So we hope that maybe what will work is people thinking that we're so generous. Or maybe you don't dress yourself up in charity, you dress yourself up in chores. And this is one of the classic ways that we deal with doing bad is just by trying to do good. So kids who are hiding things from their parents will, will reach for really anything other than just confessing openly what they have done wrong. And maybe what they do is they start serving a whole lot. People can grow up and become the kind of people that everyone around them can count on because deep down they know they have let down God. I, I want you to feel and recognize with me just how powerful a thing shame over sin is. It leads us. It leads many to dress themselves up in charity. It leads others to dress themselves up in chores. It leads some to dress themselves up in church. To become the the person who's most reliable in church, who's most faithful in giving, the most faithful in serving, the one who never says no, the one who has it all together in their service to God. All of it to hide the shame we feel for what we know we've done. Maybe I've not described you, but I just want you to pay attention the next time you do wrong. Pay attention to what you reach for. And remember this, the problem is that you will never be able to dress yourself up enough. Not any of those things are going to help you. Covering our guilt never got rid of our guilt. Shame is something that only God can get rid of. That's what it's just so encouraging that from the very first moment that sin and shame came into the world, God came and he talks to Adam and he says, who told you you were naked? How did you find this out? And Adam tells about how he disobeyed God and then God makes him a promise. One day I'm going to send you a son and that son is going to save you. He's going to save you from the, the tempter, Satan, but he's also going to save you from the shame that sin covered you in. And then he shows, he gives this like illustration, I think, of this promise to, to be the one who can get rid of our guilt. And he, before Adam and Eve are cast out of the presence of God, at the end of Genesis 3, it says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife clothes made of skin. Apparently, sacrificing an animal, shedding blood, that is what he clothed them with. Beloved, I want you to let this set in. God 
when shame came in, God got into the clothing business. The fact that our bodies need to be covered illustrates that our souls need to be saved. I'm just making observations from the text of Scripture. The fact that our bodies need to be covered is meant to tell us that our souls need to be saved. Let me give it to you a, a, a different way. We can turn this daily habit of getting dressed in the morning. We can turn that into a sermon to ourselves. So I want you to consider the next time you put a shirt on, say, my soul needs Christ like my body needs a shirt. The next time you put pants on, you can say to yourself every single day the truth that God tells us, my soul needs Christ like my body needs pants. And on and on, every time we get dressed in every article of clothing, this is the truth, beloved. So I started the sermon and, and asked you to consider why it is from Isaiah 61 that, that when God says, I'm, I'm finally going to send that Son to save you, what He's going to do is He's going to clothe you in the garments of salvation and He will cover you with the robe of righteousness. I, I encourage you to just think with me for a few minutes why it is that when God talks about salvation, He talks about getting all dressed up. I wonder if you've thought about this and the work that Christ did for sinners. Have you ever thought, why, when Jesus died on the cross, did He die naked? And why, when Jesus' resurrection was discovered, that's why we read John chapter 20, why does the text make a point to say that His clothes were left behind in the tomb? Well, you've met a man who needed to be dressed up. Let me now talk to you about the man who had to be dressed down. Point number two, the man who had to be dressed down. And for this, I'm just going to talk to you about the middle of the Bible and the Gospels. Long before Good Friday, long before Easter Sunday, our Savior knew what it would take to get rid of our guilt. He knew he had to be dressed down. The Son of God was dressed down the moment that He put on humanity. I want you to hear the irony of it. The incarnation, when the Son of God put on flesh, it was a dressing down 
of him in glory. Have you ever thought about why it is that the Almighty God would dress himself in frail humanity? Why is it that the king of prosperity would get covered in poverty? Why is it that the son who was clothed with supremacy, why would he be robed in rejection? Why would the righteous one be draped in wretchedness? Why? It was to wear our shame. The Son of God was dressed down by becoming human. But to save the shameful, our Savior had to not just be humbled by, by clothing Himself and in that way hiding His glory, He also had to be humiliated. You see, this is a man I'm talking to you about who had to be dressed down even more than He was in the Incarnation. He had to be put to shame. Our Savior had to be put to shame not only in just living among humans, but then especially in dying. Beloved, Christ was shamed. He was shamed by that kiss of a cowardly confidant. Christ was shamed whenever He was disowned even by the director of His disciples. Shamed. Christ was shamed by that blasphemous verdict handed down by a jealous jury. He was shamed. He was shamed by an imposter king who insulted him. Christ then was dressed down even more. He was shamed by the abuse and the salutes of soldiers who clothed him in that shabby robe and that crown of thorns. Because the people Jesus Christ was serving and saving were clothed in shame, were covered in it. And so Christ willingly put it all on. And yet, friends, all the shame that he had suffered to that point was not enough to get rid of all of our guilt. The, this man, anyway, he had to be dressed down even more for all the ways that you and I deny God. He had to be dressed down even more for all the ways that you and I daily disobey God. He had to be dressed down even more for all the ways that you and I dress up like we are God. For all of that shame, we deserve to die, and so He had to die. Christ had to wear the shame of of sinners on a cross of condemnation. It's the cross for the condemned. 
It was not then what you and I might view it like now. I, I've got a necklace that I'm always wearing of this cross. You, know, you, you may fill one of the walls in your home for people to, to come in and see who you are and what is precious to you. You may fill it with a, with a bunch of crosses. But the cross was not always a, an encouraging reminder, and it wasn't always a bold declaration and symbol of our faith. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 is the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, to those who are at this point not right with God and who are headed to judgment and then hell after that. This message that you cannot be saved unless God would give up His own Son in the place of sinners, unless someone perfect died for you. That's how imperfect you are. Unless someone give you righteousness that's not your own, you cannot be saved and made right with God. That is an idea that is foolishness to everyone who is perishing. And back then, they knew what the cross was. Because if you ever went traveling in that day, you would see crosses just outside the city. And a line of rotting corpses. And a line of condemned, guilty men crying out, begging for death. When you saw the cross you would have turned your head in horror and in pity. And yet, this is what God used to get rid of our guilt. Do you, can you appreciate how this man had to be dressed down? So that when Jesus Christ was dying on a cross, his life ended with him naked. Totally exposed to the crowd. Dying. Where only the most hateful and guilty suffer and die in order to get rid of them from society. I hope you'll let that set in and then be convinced nothing can dress up my badness. Nothing can get rid of my guilt so that a righteous God would actually just overlook it. Only the death of a righteous God can get rid of a sinner's guilt. And beloved, Christ wasn't done yet. 
he did even more than wear the shame of our sin in his sacrifice on the cross. Because remember, an ashamed Savior and a dead Savior can save no one. But we're told in John 19 that when they took the body of Jesus off the cross, then they put clothes on him. They bound him in grave clothes because that was the custom. And then on the third day, John 20, we just read it, Simon Peter comes into the tomb and he sees what? He sees Jesus' clothes lying there. And his face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And when he saw that, and when John then saw that, it says, then they understood that he had to be raised from the dead. Jesus died naked because he was wearing our shame. And then he was raised up And then he folded up his grave clothes and he left them behind. Listen, this is why. It was to show you and me that nothing more needs to be done to cover our shame. He has done it all and he left it all behind because he's done with that work. Beloved, Jesus is not dead anymore. He was shamed in the incarnation. He was shamed as he went to the cross. He was shamed on the cross and he was shamed in the, in the grave, but he's alive now. He has worn our shame and now he can robe any willing sinner with the righteousness that you need in order to see God. He can give you what you don't have because he took from you what you deserve. So I want to encourage everyone here to trust in this Christ. I I wonder if there's anyone here who God has helped see today that, that any kind of life without putting Him first, any kind of life without loving Him most, any kind of life without obeying God first, any kind of life without trusting Him always is proof that you are still just dressing yourself up like you are God because you live like you don't need a God or you've created some other God in your mind outside of the God we've been talking about in Scripture that you're going to follow. There is no one like Jesus Christ, beloved. There is no one who can help you like Him. And you need to know, when we all die, we are going to face God. And we will either be wearing the shame for our sin, or we will be wearing the righteousness of our Savior. And you can be wearing the righteousness of our Savior. I want to invite everyone here to shed your shame for And reach out, not for these 
fig leaf clothes that will do you no good, but reach out for Christ. Confess your sinfulness. Turn from ignoring Him and follow Him for the rest of your life. If, if, if that's something you want, you're in a great place. The Fields Church is a great people to walk with. Graham and Daniel uh, would be happy, I'm sure, to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ. Well, Isaiah 61 in verse 10 said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for this reason, because he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself out and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Whenever Isaiah was telling us what Christ would do for us. What he did was he reached for that day that is common in our lives where we get most dressed up. He reached for a wedding day. And that's the same image that God uses at the end of the Bible as well. Listen to how the bride of Christ is described in the book of Revelation chapter 7. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. And then a few verses later, whenever John asks, who are these who are clothed in white robes? An angel says, these are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So it's not going to take you long to do something shameful. And I, I'm not trying to know your business or whatever. I, I just know me. And I know what God says is true of each of us. It, it's not going to take long after this moment, for you and I to do something that's shameful. And I pray that you feel exposed by God. And that you'll respond with this help by resisting, reaching for the figs of charity or chores or church. And rather you would slow down and put on gospel clothes and get all dressed up like that old hymn teaches us. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in His righteousness, I am justified 
In Christ I live, for in my place He died. His robes for mine. What cause have I for dread? God's daunting law Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. His robes for mine. Such anguish none can know. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He, as though I, accursed and left alone. I, as though he embraced and welcomed home. Oh God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us the moment we experience any kind of shame because we really are sinful. That we would be reminded that Christ wore our shame. That he might dress us in righteousness. Lord Jesus, would you receive the praise and the worship that you are due for taking our place. And we pray that you would be honored by this church trusting in you such that they don't reach for anything else but you whenever they feel guilty. We ask all this in your name. Amen.